we're going to have our, mind, our, mind, our main Bible reading now, which is 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, there are church Bibles at the back if you don't have one. I'll read from the ESV, starting at verse 1. says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. Honour widows who are truly widows. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enrol younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Beside that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry their children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are really widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the, sin may stand in, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good work, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. We'll do keep that text open. We're going to be looking at that together. There's a, an outline of where we're going in a handout. Uh, if you can make use of that as you see fit. And there will be an opportunity at the end to pick up on anything I've said, any questions or comments. Uh, I won't actually be engaging with the whole text. 
Uh, we're going to be focusing on the widows. So if, if you come and you've got particular questions about the other bits, then you can ask them. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that what we've just read are not merely human words, uh, that whilst they are the words of Paul, the Apostle, they originate from you and inspired by your Holy Spirit. We thank you how precious uh, that that is to, to, to know uh, your true words. And we pray, therefore, that the same Spirit who inspired Paul to write them would help us to understand them and their implications for us as your church uh, this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In vain they worship me, said Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verse 7. This is pretty shocking, is it not? This was a group that was concerned about their relationship with God. They want to honour and worship him. But learn that they worship God in vain. The encounter began back in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Notice that the issue here is not cleanliness, but cleanness. So they're not washing their hands to avoid getting sick and spreading germs. The thing that we're looking at is a group of people who have an apparent concern for God. But are they really honouring God? They think they are. And they do it pretty diligently, as the bid in brackets goes on to tell us. So picking it up from verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. They're seeking to honour God by cleaning things so that they're not defiled but worthy to honour him. But one of the things that this passage goes on to tell us is that they don't. Mark 7 verse 7 In vain they worship me. I mean, what kind of relationship do you think that they have with God? But it's not a good one. And the shocking thing is, is that they're so sincere. They really do think that they're worshipping God. But they're not. Let's think for a moment how this might have come about. It comes about because they have substituted human words for God's words. From verse 8, Jesus said, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. 
And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Here was a group who had substituted purely human words for God's words, so that they obey humans rather than God. Jesus then gives an example of this, how the Corban rule that they have invented is preferred to the word of God. And it's worth pausing for a moment to consider how this Corban rule might have come about. As far as we know, we don't know how historically this rule came about, but consider one possible account, and there are two steps. Step one is basically the thought that God comes first. The basic principle, after all, is that we're to love God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our strengths. Step two is to consider how giving in the Old Testament, so uh, the tithes, uh, the tithing giving of sacrifices, does appear to have this principle that God comes first. And so why not extend that principle so that we give other things to God, such as the things that we would have given to honour our father and mother? Surely if the principle is that God comes first, to go the extra must surely honour God more. Do you see the train of thought? God comes first, so let's give him the honour due to our father and mother. But this line of thinking is unacceptable to Jesus because it leads to rejecting the command of God, the command to honour your father and mother. That is to say that human words have replaced, substituted God's words. Now, our passage this morning picks up on this idea of honour. And the largest section of our passage in 2 Timothy 5 concerns the topic of widows and honouring true widows. Paul draws a distinction between two types of widows, those who are truly widows and those who are not. A widow is a woman whose husband has died. And by a true widow, Paul doesn't mean here a woman whose husband has actually died, as opposed to a woman whose husband is still alive but is claiming to be a widow. The distinction that Paul draws is between two different types of widow. Let's read again from verse 3 of of 1 Timothy 5. Honour widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. 
Paul characterizes the true widow in a number of ways. They must be truly alone without any family support. Verse 5. This includes being at least 60 years old and not contemplating marriage. Verse 9. There must also be godly women. There must be the type of woman who's committed to the Lord, having set their hope on him and constantly praying to him. Their past lives must show that they are faithful in marriage and busy at home. Verse 10. Such true widows come in contrast to those who are not alone and have family, or are young enough to remarry, and those young widows who have given themselves over to a self-centred, self-indulgent lifestyle and abandoning their former faith. Verse 11 and 12. The concern of this section is how to differentiate the widows whom the church should support from those whom it should not support. So a true widow is not simply a woman whose husband is dead, but one who deserves to be supported by the church. Paul's concern is that the Ephesian church take care of the widows who are truly in need, but not burden itself with those who have other means of support. There are so many people to care for. And the Bible helps us by giving us priorities. We have responsibilities toward everybody, but we have particular responsibilities for particular people. First is that of family responsibility. Three times Paul states that it is the family's responsibility and not the church's to care for the widows in their own family. Let's look at them. He begins the first one there in verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Then again in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's hard at this point not to think of the Ten Commandments and the commandment to honour your father and your mother. For in verses 4 and 8, the responsibility of children is in view. Honouring our parents involves not just the idea of respect, but provision, if it's needed. He ends on the same note in verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they care for those who are truly widows. And in this, in this um, process, Paul expands family responsibilities to include parents, grandparents, and even relatives in general. Being a Christian doesn't remove us from our family responsibilities. 
As Christians, we must maintain our family responsibilities. The second responsibility is that of the church. It's not the church's responsibility to care for everyone. The church must be discerning so that it can support those who are truly in need. The church must care for those widows who are without real family. And here in Ephesus, it's Timothy's responsibility to make this happen and that the true widows are provided for. One of the reasons I think that all this is so helpful is that it gives us priorities. Because in the call to be generous, we can think that we're responsible for everyone in need everywhere. And it can be so overwhelming that we don't know what to do or how to help. But God tells us that there are particular responsibilities that we have. Those towards our own family, and those that we share uh, as a church. And this, if I can put it this way, gives uh, direction and focus to Christian generosity. We don't have unlimited resources, and in the limitation we have to make choices, and God helps us to prioritise. Widows should be cared for by her own family, and only then by the church. In vain they worship me, said Jesus, to those who use the Jewish law of Corban to avoid caring for their parents. We're not free to neglect our responsibilities so as to honour God. The irony is that in seeking to honour God, God is not honoured. Rather, we can share in the joys of our responsibilities to care for others, to look forward to that opportunity, and to organise our affairs so as to provide for our own family and be ready to recognise this responsibility. Let's pray, and then I'll open up to any questions or comments you might have. Heavenly Father, we thank you on the one hand that we have your commandments and therefore we can know what pleases you and that involves honouring our parents and providing for them if they need it. And we thank you too, Father, how helpful this passage is in thinking about how we care for others. Rather, be overwhelmed at all the, the, the needs of the world Uh, that you give us priorities. And we pray, please, that we would uh, share in the joys of our responsibilities to care for others, uh, to care for our families, and the church to care for uh, true widows. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Over to you.
if you don't ask me any questions, I'm going to start asking you questions because I've got lots. <laughs> uh, yes, um, Susie. Science get into the, the murky waters of what about this situation? So just for the recording, yeah, yeah. What if you have a widow who does have family, but the family, you know, basically, you know, don't don't want to provide for her? Does the church step in? So I think the um, okay, two things. I have thought about this. One thing is uh, you probably guess what I'm going to say is just to go back to the occasion of a letter. Okay, so Paul, when he gets to chapter 5, he's not saying, okay, this is my chapter on the sum total of my thinking about the care of widows. Okay, so that it's not how it works. He's writing to a church in Ephesus. There's clearly some issues in the church in Ephesus. And so he's writing to address them and equip Timothy to do that which is pleasing to God and brings proper honour. Okay, so in many ways it doesn't answer our questions because Paul's answering his own questions. Um, so in that sense, you know, we can kind of relax a bit that it's not, it doesn't say everything about the sum total. But secondly, I think one thing it does, Susie, which I think is helpful, is this idea of priorities. So, um, uh, so, for example, let me just go slightly off-piste. There's a helpful verse, Galatians 6.10. So, Galatians 6.10, Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I think what that's going on there is that we're, um, we are to be good to everyone. But... Um, there is a focus, there is this idea of priority, and um, in the first instance, I think that the church's resources would go to women who have no family, who are over 60, and who have lived godly lives. That doesn't mean that you can't provide for others, bearing in mind their situation, because it's not that kind of, that sort of thing. But I think it, it helps us get our... Um, helps us prioritise and just think, well, where do we start? What's our focus? And then sort of um, move from there. So I don't think he's forbidding that help. It's, it's more just, in the first instance, this is where uh, the focus, where you, you, you start with your resources. I think maybe on another note, and it's helpful for us, is this also helps us to think where we're going. Um, so this whole idea of organising our affairs so that that we can be responsible for our families if and when we need to be. So it's a kind of, um, um, although we might think now, who are the, who are the, yeah. Uh, how, what do we do with this? I guess one of the things we can do in this is that I think it underlines um, our family responsibilities and therefore we can, we can, we can do that well. 
and you know, there's more complicated cases that come along. Is that? Yeah. Twenty, twenty-two to twenty-five. Yes. So let me just um, read from twenty-two. Uh, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink any water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, but even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So I think what's going on there, the laying on of hands takes us back to chapter 4, um, verse 14, which says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So I think, I take it that the laying on of hands is, is, is to do with the appointing of elders. It's that kind of ballpark. And the instruction that Paul gives Timothy is not to be hasty in appointing elders. Um, take your time. And part of the reason why is that actually if you're hasty and you appoint someone who is um, uh, not appropriate, you bear some responsibility for that, hence the whole um, nor take part in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. So the, Timothy's this is quite... Um, he, he, he needs to take responsibility for the appointing. And then... If you miss out the bit in brackets about the wine, the um, well, well, yeah, interest. Okay, yeah, we we'll miss out for a minute. Um, then it seems to be twenty four, twenty five. Is this idea of it takes effectively it takes time to get to know people, but actually, whether the good or the sin that they do, exactly, no, that will show itself over time. But actually, we need to get to know them. Uh, first, so I think it's that that wisdom in in Timothy taking his time and not be quick to appoint to appoint elders. Uh, partly, is, it goes back to I think when we looked at elders in chapter three, that it's, you know, it's all linked with protecting the truth. That's what these elders do, and therefore, one way to make a sure pig's breakfast of the church is to appoint elders who are not suitable. Because, um, yeah, it's okay. Interestingly, Russian is warm. Time for one more, if you'd like. Okay, in which case we will leave it there in the sweltering heat. We're going to sing a song, um, a next song, King of Kings, Majesty.